Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you could stand to your feet today. And if we could get James chapter 1 up on the screen, we're going to read it together. And um, praise you, Jesus. Father, we just open our hearts today to your word. We approach it humbly, knowing that it is the truth. It is eternal truth. And we approach it as that, Lord. And we ask that you would speak to us today through your word in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. We're going to read James chapter 1, verse 2 to 8. And um, you can read out loud together. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Here Paul, uh, or sorry, in, uh, here uh, James is talking. He said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, last week we dealt with um, the whole area of, of peace, which is tremendously significant, but there is a step beyond peace, and I believe that is joy. And um, so joy is so important in the Christian life, because without it, you will be defeated. Because what pleasure is to the body, and what happiness is to the soul, joy is to the heart. Amen? But while pleasure and happiness are both based on natural things, joy is based on something much higher. Joy is supernatural. Amen? Joy comes from heaven, not from earth. This is why the Bible speaks of joy unspeakable and full of glory in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Because it is joy that cannot be expressed. It can only be experienced. That's why he said joy unspeakable. You can't put this joy into words. It's, it's joy that you can only feel in your heart. Amen. And, and because it comes from heaven, it's not limited to what is happening on earth. And so over these next two weeks, I'm going to be dealing with this area of joy. And I think um, it's, it's tremendously important. Some of the things I'm going to share today um, uh, may challenge you. Okay, and um, uh, they may trouble you, uh, uh, but I believe they will help you. And there are things that need to be spoken because too many times we think joy is based on, you know, everything going well in my life and everything is going in the way I desire and I'm comfortable and etc. etc. No, when the Bible speaks about joy, it's, it's speaking about something that transcends our, our, our current circumstances and environment that we are in. Because it's not based, like I said, on what is happening on earth. It is based on what is happening in heaven. And Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Amen. So remember, joy, one of the things that characterizes heaven is joy. And so if there's joy in heaven, God wants joy to be on this earth. He wants joy in your heart in Jesus' name. Amen. So just, just stick with me today on this message, and I believe you will learn something. Amen. So again, um, every one of us can be connected to a supernatural source of joy, no matter what we might be facing. And so again, I believe this message can change your life. For you must understand that the battle is always for your joy. Amen? Uh, the, the battle is always for your joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And Satan knows that if he can take your joy, he can take your strength and your destiny along with it. And this is why it's so important we understand this. Nehemiah 8 and verse 10, it says in the NLV, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This, is, this day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And um, uh, uh, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Um, uh, the NLV, it says, this is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The enemy of your souls knows that if he can take your strength, then it's all over. If he can take your joy, rather, it's all over. He knows that he will prevail if only he can succeed in taking your joy. And that's why uh, sometimes you can have a visitor or a customer or receive a call, an email, a letter, or, or even a text. And that one interaction with that one person and your entire day is ruined. Sometimes even your entire week. Amen. And so, again, uh, the, the reason why is because that person was sent by the devil and they literally walked away with your joy. Have you ever been in that place where just one short little experience and, and, and your, your entire demeanor has changed, your entire attitude, you're just, you know, the, the devil has succeeded in taking your joy. And some of you might be in that place today. Other, others of us have been there. You've lost your joy and you're just going through the motions. You know when to lift your hands. You know when to say praise the Lord. You know when to say, say amen. You know when to sit and you know when to stand. But you're going through the motions because you've lost your joy. The battle is always for your joy. Because it's not about the person and it's not about the problem. It is all about your joy. Because that obsessive habit, that chronic pain, that rude customer, that demanding boss, that unreasonable wife our husband, that inescapable depression, that overwhelming anxiety, they're all simply means to an end. What Satan was after all along was your joy, and he get, just kept firing things at you from his arsenal until he found something that would succeed. It's about your joy. He wanted to find what would work on you because a joyful believer is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Do you know the greatest advertisement for Christianity is joy? People are drawn to joy. They're not drawn to misery. They're not drawn to somebody going around looking like they're sucking lemons. Sometimes people think that's spiritual. No, the Bible says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with, with the Holy Ghost and power. And it says he was anointed with the oil of joy more than his fellows. 
Why did you think sinners were, were drawn to him? You know, many times we see Jesus sitting and eating with sinners. And the Pharisees, you know, in the New Living Bible says, how can he bear to, to eat with such scum? And, and so Jesus was a man of joy. People were drawn to him because he was full of joy. And people will be drawn to you if you have joy as well. Amen. So the greatest advertisement for Christianity is joy. It was the uh, evangelist, the American evangelist, Billy Sunday, who once said, if you have no joy, there is a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Isn't that quite profound? And th- that's the fact. You know, I, I, I see a lot of leaky Christians around, particularly in these, in these times. And so uh, this is why Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. He didn't say sometimes or a lot of the time. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. That means when everything has gone wrong, when everything is falling apart around you, you are still rejoicing because you know, you know what? I'm going to get up again. Just like it says in the book of Micah, rejoice not over me, my enemy, for though I fall, yet I will arise. Glory to God. I'm standing in a boxing ring. You don't get to win a match if you just stay down. You've got to get up, brush yourself up, and get back in the fight in Jesus' name. And joy will enable you to do that. <clears throat> Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm just going to deal with one point this week, and we're going to finish it next week. James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James chapter 1 and verse 2, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That's John chapter 16 and verse uh, 33. Do you know that word tribulation in the Greek means pressure? So he said, in the world you will have pressure. It might be physical pressure. It might be pressure in your job or pressure in your home or pressure in your finances. But Jesus said, in this world you will have pressure. Pressure. I have pressure every Thursday when I go to play soccer because it's mostly Brazilians and I can't kick a ball straight. I often look at, <laughs> I, I often look at Vinny, who's quite a good soccer player, and if I happen to be on his team, I just see the disappointment in his eyes. I see it. And, and I see, he doesn't say it, but he, I, he's saying to himself, we're going to lose because we have pastor. Listen, we all have different kinds of pressure. It means pressure, anguish, affliction, burdened, persecution, tribulation, or trouble. So again, Jesus didn't leave us under any illusion as to the fact that we would face challenges in this life. But you know what? This is the beautiful thing. Jesus also promised us the victory in them. That's why Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Deuteronomy chapter 28, your enemies will come against you one way, they will flee from you seven ways. You see, we are a blessed people, and the very first thing we are blessed with is joy. It's a little taste of eternity, because you know, Psalm 16 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's nobody depressed in heaven. There's nobody sick in heaven. There's nobody complaining in heaven. There's nobody offended in heaven. There's nobody with bitterness in heaven. They're all just full of joy. And that's the way we should be too. Come on. Think of the joy you experienced when you were first saved. What you felt was simply a pale reflection of the joy that there was in heaven at your salvation. 
Luke 15 and 10, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Isn't that beautiful? That in heaven, they were rejoicing. You didn't even understand what you were doing in that moment when you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus. You didn't understand the implications, really, of what you were doing. But the Bible says all of heaven was just rejoicing at the thought that you were saved. You see, and and this is the beauty uh, of, of God's promise. It says, Luke 15 and 10, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We have been blessed because we have been literally taken from the clutches of the prince of darkness. Colossians chapter 1 and 13, you have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his dear son. So we must understand, darkness has no dominion over you. In Jesus' name, we have been taken from darkness to light, and our names have been written in the Lamb's book of life for all of eternity. You see, we are heaven-bound, and we must remind ourselves of that. We are heaven-bound, and yet, notwithstanding that, Jesus did say that we would face tests and trials, particularly in the end days. You see, the early church was born in the fires of persecution, And the end times church, I believe, will face similar kinds of tests. And so, while we don't have to be fearful, we do need to be ready. We need to count the cost, and we must prepare our hearts to ensure that we are ready to serve the Lord and to pay the price. And remember that no matter what happens, amen, we can always walk in joy. Hebrews 10 and 34, for you had compassion on me, uh, on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. The NLV, you suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there are better things waiting for you that will last forever. The Amplified, for you showed sympathy and deep concern for me when I was imprisoned, and you joyfully accepted the unjust seizure of your belongings and confiscation of your property. Now, that is a supernatural joy. It says that you, in the face of all of this, uh, you know, unjust things that were being done, that you had joy. Second Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people turn away. So from the very beginning, there were those who had a a facade of religiosity, but there was no substance to it. It's like people say, I'm Catholic, I'm Protestant, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other. And yet there is no reality whatsoever in their personal life of, of, of the faith that they purport to hold. You see, Jesus said, by your fruits, you will be known. Do you have the fruits of Christianity in your life? And so anyway, Timothy here talks about perilous and testing times in the end days. Do you know that word perilous? It means uh, uh, testing. Uh, it, it means through the idea of reducing the strength. It's interesting, the book of Daniel talks about in the King James how the Antichrist will wear down the saints. 
And, you know, there's many believers right now in the current environment feel like they're just being slowly drained by all of the, you know, immorality and craziness we're seeing in our society. It means uh, the idea, it says difficult, dangerous, by implication, furious, fierce, perilous. It comes from the word which means to lower as into a void or to let down or to strike. To lure into a void. I think that's interesting. That pretty much characterizes uh, our society right now. You know, the Western world in general, it looks like we are being lured down into a, into a dark void. And um, th- there's no doubt that we are living in very strange times. State-sponsored indoctrination of kids through LGBT, along with all of the trans confusion. You know, this week in the USA, the F- FDA, they, um, uh, they, they warned about the danger uh, of uh, uh, these puberty blockers. They, they, they acknowledged it's dangerous. And at the same time, as the, FB, uh, FD, uh, the Food and Drug Authority in the US warning about them, the current administration is celebrating and promoting these very same uh, puberty blockers being given to little children and celebrating you know, children going through irreversible um, uh, operations uh, that there is no coming back from. And, and you know, so the FDA, FDA acknowledged that there are a lot of dangers associated with little children taking these drugs. I mean, a five-year-old child could tell you that. But this is the danger of our times. And let me say this today. The message, I'm going to be dealing with some things. I'm going to be say, slaying a lot of sacred cows. And if you can be offended today, you will be. Okay? But at least, at least do this as an adult. Okay? Listen to what I have to say before you get up and walk out. Okay? Make your decision at the end of the message and not in the middle. Okay? So anyway, th- this is very, very important. We're, we're living in strange times. Um, but you might say, well, wh- why kids? Why are they pushing all this on kids? Because they are young and impressionable. You know, the Jesuits had a saying, give me the child, I'll show you the man. That those crucial years, those formative years as a child, you know, it's a bit like wet concrete. You put the impression therein, and it lasts forever. And so, anyway, it's important for us to know kids are young and impressionable, and there is a demonic agenda. Let me say this. There's a lot of people who naively and well-intentioned in their, in their support of these various ideas. But they don't realize that these ideas are demonic. The Bible talks in the book of Timothy about doctrines of demons. Well, that is one of the doctrines of demons that is somehow beneficial to a child who is confused about their gender to start giving them drugs that will stop them going through puberty, which is a perfectly natural and essential part of growing up and cutting off pieces of their body is somehow going to benefit them. No, you are relegating that person to a lifetime of, of, of mental issues and, and harm, physical harm, that there is no coming back from and the silence of so many ministers on this issue is absolutely cowardly and unforgivable hallelujah okay there is a demonic agenda to normalize what is not normal okay and and this is why it's called the new Normal, Because under the old normal, which some of us are old enough to remember when we understood that men and women were different, um, under the old normal, um, a lot of what they're pushing would have been dismissed as weird, perverted, and depraved. 
And so, again, uh, Facebook famously suggested there are 58 genders, but that's become so outdated now because now there are literally hundreds. Apparently, there's a new gender called cake gender. It's for those who feel light and fluffy. <laughs> it's a fact. Ironically, much of this stupidity is now backed by the corporate and political world who have got behind um, all of this craziness. And sadly, some of it is even backed by dead churches and ministers who clearly have rejected the Bible as the final authority in fulfillment of 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, which predicts the great falling away in the end days. I'm going to read it for you. And it says, uh, Brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, our gathering together, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or word or letter, as though the day of the Lord had come. Let no one deceive you by any, mind, by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. So the Bible says the Antichrist cannot appear until there is a falling away. And we are witnessing that falling away in our society right now. Falling away from truth, falling away from morality, falling away from basic logic. Okay, and um, it says that falling away, that word in the Greek is apostasia, where we get the word apostasy um, or apostate. And it says the man of sin will be revealed, the man of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself against all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The Bible predicts a great apostasy in the end times. And our society right now is falling into the abyss um, of, of moral relativism and, and hedonism. That word apostasia means uh, defection from truth. So under the Soviet Union, there was sometimes there were defectors. They would leave the Soviet Union and they would move to the West. They went from one place to another. We're witnessing that defection, but it's not a physical defection. It's a defection from, from uh, logic. It's a defection from sanity. It's a defection from morality. And um, uh, sadly, uh, many people are becoming desensitized to this. Um, uh, so as a society, we are forsaking, uh, another word it means, apostasy means to forsake, we are forsaking truths that have been held sacred by mankind for millennia, particularly regarding the difference between men and women. Over the last few years, we've all experienced the reality of living under COVID and communism, and the two go together, okay? And um, along with manic demands to comply with masks and vaccines and lockdowns in order to be a good person. But you have to ask the question, is it a mask or is it a muzzle? I don't know about you, I like breathing. I like being able to speak. I like being able to see people's faces, and I like freedom. So when you see people walking out in God's beautiful fresh air, wearing a mask or driving in a car on their own, you have to ask, what is wrong with people? Because they don't work firstly, but the reality is they are a public uh, symbol of compliance with the new normal. And so they haven't gone away, just like the IRA, we haven't gone away, you know. Um, they're a public symbol of compliance with the new normal. And that's where they're going to keep pushing them. In Germany, they want people to wear a mask in winter, irrespective of whether the WEF or WHO or whoever else manages to cook up a new and improved version of COVID. And, and so again, in line with this moral chaos, we're witnessing the rise of subversive global entities like the WHO, the WEF, and the UN, which are taking more and more control over sovereign nations. 
And so, again, if you don't think COVID was about control, I feel sorry for you because the authoritarian control that we saw uh, over those years was unprecedented and certainly wasn't seen in Europe since the fall of the Iron Curtain. And it was never seen before in countries like the UK, um, the, the US, Canada, Australia. And yet so much of this parallels with what Christ spoke about in Matthew chapter 24. Um, the disciples came to Jesus as he sat in the Mount of Olives. They came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming, the end of the age? Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. That word nation is ethnos, where we get the, um, the idea of ethnicity. We're seeing this, you know, being promoted, this hatred of black between white and, and uh, people of, of different uh, colors and different tribes and different nations, this ethnic uh, conflict and hatred that's being deliberately uh, fermented. Jesus spoke about it, and um, not here in Jesus' name. Amen, we're brothers, we're sisters, no matter what color or background we're from. Could somebody say amen this morning? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. We're family. And uh, Jesus said, uh, they will deliver you to tribulation. Uh, you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations. And then the end will come. And so let's not become distracted by the signs and the things that are happening. Our focus is on preaching the gospel. Our focus is on winning the lost, telling people about Jesus Christ. Amen? So anyway. Anyway, it's interesting, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Jesus spoke about the end times, and he characterized them by a number of things, pestilence, we've seen that with COVID, perversion, turn on your TV, uh, two minutes you'll see it, persecution, we're seeing that manifested, it might be passive right now, but it's going to become more hostile, I believe, deception, uh, war and famine. And so let's just take a few moments to focus on food for a moment. You know, proponents of uh, climate change uh, have decided we need to implement policies that can only be described as suicidal, particularly regarding food production. And, you know, this isn't without uh, precedent. Chairman Mao from China, um, he attempted the same in, uh, in the Great Leap Forward. Incidentally, that resulted in the death of millions of his own people starving to death. Conservative estimates say 18 million. Others push it upwards towards 55 million people starved to death under Mao. And, uh, you know, this is what communists do. They enforce their ideas on the masses. And if you look at COVID, you look at climate change, that very same ideology of treating uh, society as groups rather than individuals and trampling under individual freedom in the name of the so-called greater good. Okay, so uh, this is what communists do. They enforce their ideas on the masses and invariably it leads to poverty, death, and, and loss of freedom. You know, this one man had an idea that was utterly naive because it was rooted in ideology and not logic. And millions suffered and died. And we are seeing this replayed today. There are many disturbing similarities between communism, COVID, and climate change. You know, the one thing we learn from history is we don't learn from history. Because let me say this, when people aren't a priority, awful things can happen. Okay? When people aren't a priority, 
terrible things can happen. And it is clear that people are not a priority to the climate change movement. In many ways, it's an anti-human movement because it views our presence as human beings as being a very real and present threat to the planet. Sorry, I don't buy that. I believe God loves people, amen? And he, he created so many of us in so many different varieties. And uh, again, God loves people, but climate change activists don't. Many of them hate people, and they look on human life as the very worst form of pollution. That's why they have no problem blocking roads and you know, uh, destroying livelihoods uh, or, or reputations, because apparently it's for the greater good. And this is a very interesting concept. This idea that others know better than you um, uh, what is good for you and your family. These are the same people who argue that meat is murder and yet abortion is healthcare. They'll, they'll cry over a little puppy that was abused and yet they'll dance in the street over the right to take a child apart piece by piece. I mean, there's no logic to that. There's no consistency to that. And so, again, um, <clears throat> this is important for us to grasp because there's no use arguing with people like that because they think they know better and therefore your opinion, your preference, or your convictions are utterly irrelevant to them, okay? Because at its core... This whole movement, and like I said, just listen, hear me out. That's all I'm asking. Be an adult and hear me out, even if it's some things you don't like what you are hearing. Okay? Consider what I have to say. I believe it's an anti-human uh, movement. Uh, it's an anti-human, uh, anti-freedom, and ultimately anti-God movement. Okay? And, and this is why many of them are supporters of abortion, LGBT, and other movements that have all one thing in common. What that one thing is? Depopulation. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18 says, God created the world to be inhabited. Okay? He put the oil under the ground. He put the water there. He put all of the things that we need to live. Okay? And so God made the world to be inhabited. And so you must pick your side because things are going to get a little crazy. But pastor, uh, the world is going to burn or it's going to flood unless we increase taxes. We, we have to put a big balloon up in space and, and dim the sun. Are you that stupid? To believe that? Do you think that is progress to try and block the sun? After thousands of years, we now have this idea. I mean, uh, anyway, Second Peter says this, 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Amen. So it's going to end exactly. Thank you, brother. It's going to end exactly as the Bible said it's going to end, okay? That's what the Bible says. Turning off your air conditioning, trading in your car, or eating cockroaches is not going to save the planet. They're lying to you, they're treating you like you're an idiot, and many people unfortunately are believing this stuff. Okay, so, I mean, in, in Spain, the, this week, they, they were looking at passing a law that would penalize businesses and fine them up to 600,000 if they had their air conditioning under 27 degrees. I mean, their leader went around without a tie, telling people, you know, instead of putting on air con, just don't wear a tie. You know, start, they, they, this idea of COVID, of treating people like they are children who need to be managed, it's wrong. And, and you know what, as the church, we have to rise up against this stupidity in Jesus' name. Okay? 
let me say this. You or I cannot save the planet. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. And, and a lot of this appeals to men with a Messiah complex. This idea that we as men are God. No, God is God. And so uh, it, it's important to understand you can't even save yourself. And let me say this. If you drive an electric vehicle or have solar panels, I'm not attacking you. It makes sense to look after the environment. I've loved, I love the fresh air, okay? It makes sense to look after the environment, and certainly in light of possible you know, electric shortages that we're going to be facing through all of these naive measures and policies, it makes sense to be energy independent. So if you can do any of that stuff, great, go for it, okay? I, I was very green as a teenager, but the problem is this movement, along with so many others, has been hijacked by leftist radicals who are using it as a Trojan horse to establish a new world order. That is the problem, okay? So, uh, and, and this is why we see that black-facing, uh, loving, uh, black loving totalitarian Justin Trudeau in Canada wants to reduce nitrogen uh, use by Canadian farmers by 30%, even though they've warned that it will drastically reduce food output. But he isn't worried, like all I, uh, you know, uh, ideologues, he's already demonstrated his utter contempt for democracy by jailing truckers and freezing the bank accounts of those who dared to push back against his oppressive COVID policies. I mean, it's only since June that Canadians were allowed, unvaccinated Canadians were allowed to take a train, a plane, or even get out of the country. You know, this is this kind of soft dictatorship that we are seeing. He's already expressed admiration for the Chinese Communist Party and their ability to get things done. Nobody argues that under a dictatorship that you can get things done. It's just nobody wants to live there, you know? And this is the problem. And so he's going to ignore the farmers, uh, just like the truckers. But you know, the thing I find interesting is that throughout the Western world, we're seeing many of the left-wing parties who once used to represent and fight for working class people are now, um, uh, you know, uh, actually repressing them and fighting against them. And so he's going to ignore farmers, like I said, because, and sadly, the media is also playing a part. I believe the media is complicit in all of this insanity. I believe many of them have been paid off to push a certain narrative, and they've certainly played a part in silencing voices of dissent. I mean, how many of you know under COVID, how many articles did you read in newspapers that were questioning any of these authoritarian measures, which were unprecedented, even in World War II, they didn't, you know, uh, control people as much as they did during COVID. And yet there was no questioning whatsoever um, uh, by the media. And uh, in many instances, it seems that, that the media wants to enforce the narrative rather than pursue the truth. But you know what? Notwithstanding the lies, the deception, the misrepresentation, we should listen to farmers because they are the experts when it comes to food production. Let me say this, a politician or a journalist has never fed one person, and yet farmers have for, for, for generations in many instances. And so when farmers are warning us about these proposed changes, it might be prudent for us to listen if we actually want to feed our families. How many of you know we eat food grown by farmers, not grown in pretty little boxes, um, window boxes as suggested by the Green Party? You know, I laugh when Eamon Ryan spoke about how most towns and villages in Ireland could do with just one car. It's this communist idea of communal. I mean, it's ridiculous, the idea that even a little village or town could get by with, you know, one, one vehicle. 
You know, logic and green doesn't rhyme for a reason. And so I'm not sure if it's utter ignorance or just disdain for those who live in rural Ireland. Uh, but you know what? I, I think it's important to understand that we have to question and push back against some of this craziness. But you might say, but pastor, it's for the planet. No, it's for the birds. It's unworkable and it's, it's illogical. These people are idiots and we are morally obliged to remove them from any place whereby they might influence or form government policy. You know, we see in Holland, Dutch farmers fighting, fighting for the right to simply grow food. Their government wants to go beyond 30%. They want to cut their nitrogen um, by 50%. What's the problem, Pastor? It's for a clean environment. Let me say this. It's not for a clean world. It's for a controlled world. That is what it is about. Any of these agendas, it always comes down to control. Did you know that the Netherlands are the second largest producer of food in the world? In the world. Is it possible that a 50% reduction in nitrogen might have some unintended knock-on effects in terms of food availability and food price? Or maybe intended if you actually want to uh, curtail, you know, curtail the, 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 the population and, and cause people to starve. Because in the mind of some of these eco-fascists, the principle is less people, less pollution. I mean, boil down a lot of what they're saying. It's simply less people, less pollution. That's why they're big supporters of abortion and population reduction. Fact is, I mean, you know, uh, Bill Gates and his wife were even quoted on that very fact a number of years ago. You know, there's too many black people. You know, uh, it, it's, it's, these ideas are d doctrines of devils. And it's time for us in the church to begin to see things with discernment. Okay, so anyway, it's much easier to control people if they're hungry. How many of you know that? You know, and we've seen this in Venezuela, in, in Cuba, uh, and every other failed socialist state. Uh, a friend of mine in this church, his sister came from Venezuela, and she opened the fridge in his house, and she saw, I think it was eggs and mayonnaise, and she burst out crying. So let's not be dumb. Food production is important. And don't assume that just because there's food in your shops today, that there's going to be food in your shops, you know, next week, next month, or next year, if we follow some of these idiotic um, uh, policies. And um, so anyway, in the same way as the pandemic was planned, and inflation was planned, I personally believe that they want to reduce food output so that a number of things happen. Firstly, its price rises, and its availability reduces. Secondly, so that farmers will sell or go out of business, and the land will be bought up by billionaires and global corporations who can control what is sold and what isn't sold or grown. What were the net effects of COVID? Small, you know, millions of small and medium businesses were crippled. Many never reopened and large multinationals made billions. I mean, look, have you, has anybody considered how much, you know, uh, the head of Amazon, Bill Gates and these others, how much their wealth increased over COVID? There was a huge wealth transfer to a small group of people. The biggest tra wealth transfer actually in all of human history. And that is actually still ongoing with inflation. I mean, uh, many of us don't necessarily think too much about it, but the reality is, you know, you, your wages might have gone up 5 or 10% or in the last year. The reality is many of the things we're buying today are double the price that they were two or three years ago. I mean, that's a fact. And so when they quote figures of 8% inflation, that's not, it's not correct. And um, so anyway, uh, you might say, Pastor, Pastor, 
Are you a climate change denier? <laughs> well, let me say that very term carries with it a degree of moral judgment. And that, that, that moral judgment is meant to shame, intimidate, silence, and control people. Because nobody wants to be called a, a denier. You're not a skeptic, you're a denier, a heretic, a, a person who needs to be punished and avoided um, you know, because of, of their dangerous ideas. It sounds like something um, out of the Spanish Inquisition. And so if it has a religious term to it, um, or a religious tone to it, this is because it's deliberate, because climate change ultimately is a cult. And like every cult, unbelievers have to be shamed and shunned as dangerous persons. Because let me say this, speech is important. Um, and, and this is why they're pushing pronouns and changing the meaning of words. In the USA, apparently, recession no longer means recession because they changed the meaning of the word. Just like marriage. Do you know that marriage is an inherently religious institution? And yet, when they were pushing gay marriage, they framed it as marriage equality. And I mean, who isn't for, mar who isn't for equality, you know? Um, but this is the problem. Gay marriage isn't equal nor similar to Christian marriage, nor ever can be. Two men or two women can never bring what a man and a woman bring, uh, particularly with regards to procreation. That's just basic biology. Okay? You can't change. You can't change or improve on God's design. God made them male and female. It's in the first page of the book. Okay? He made them. That's the way God intended marriage. And that's why if you have a civil marriage, that's good. But you need to go all the way and have a religious ceremony because civil marriage isn't Christian marriage. All civil marriages is simply official state recognition of your union. In the, uh, but Christian marriage is in the eyes of God. But pastor, we can't afford it. Have you ever seen Braveheart? I can give you a Braveheart wedding. We'll go out into a forest, just the two of you, all right? And we can keep it really simple. Because it's not about the dress. It's not about the suit, it's not about the cake, it's not about the bad dancing, it's not about all, everybody else being there. It's about two people humbling themselves before God and saying, we're not going to do it the way of the world. We're not just going to move in and, and just act like God has nothing, no part of our relationship. No, we're going to honor God and we're going to ask God for his blessing on our marriage. That's all it is. Thank you, Lord. Some of your ladies, your day is coming in Jesus' name. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> God hasn't forgotten you, ladies, in Jesus' name. We're still dealing with 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. It's interesting that my Bible says it has the heading, Perilous Times and Perilous Men. And that's what we're dealing with, unfortunately. Dangerous times, dangerous men. Genesis chapter 47 gives us a possible blueprint for the future. I'm going, to, I'm going to finish this message because I believe it's tremendously important. We're going to deal more with the joy end next week, but right now we've got to deal with some stuff. Verse 13, now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt, the land of Canaan, languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, and the grain which they brought. And J Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. 
So when the money failed, one of the most significant verses in the Bible, and I believe it's a prophetic one that applies to our times. So when the money failed, in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread, for why uh, should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the, f- the flocks, the cattle and the herds and for the donkeys. Uh, then he fed them with bread in exchange for their livestock that year. When that year had ended, they came uh, to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. The Lord also our herds of livestock, has also our herds of livestock. There is nothing left on the side of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? It says, Buy us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph both all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. And every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as to the people, he moved them from the cities, from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Verse 23. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. Now they work land that used to be their own. And this is classic communism um, in, in operation. And I believe it's put there as a warning. Sometimes we think, because we love Joseph and he was a man of God, um, that this was okay. No, it's not. Um, it, Joseph was simply put there. Later on in Genesis, talks about how God sent Joseph there to keep people alive. But this was Satan's plan, and it's always been Satan's plan, which is to uh, enslave mankind uh, to a system. And so Genesis 47 gives us a possible blueprint for the future, even if it is a rather disturbing one. Okay, it says when the money failed, but understand the money only failed when the food ran out. And so you have to ask the question, why are they reducing the output of food in the name of saving the planet? Well, it's the easiest way to control the people and ultimately curtail and possibly decimate the population. And I'm not saying this is the motive of our national governments, okay? But clearly, these climate change goals that they're instituting um, have not been set by these governments. They're simply implementing policies that are being pushed by globalists who control the markets. And these markets now will only invest in governments and nations uh, depending on their uh, ESG rating. And that's um, uh, environmental uh, and... uh, Social grade, I can't remember what it is again. It's, it's essentially based on their, their, uh, you know, their, their dealing with the climate, uh, socially, etc. And, um, and governance, yeah. Environmental, social and governance rating. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Sri Lanka has an amazing ESG of 98. Very impressive. France, not so good, 92. Ireland, well, you know, as the paddies, we're always last at more things. And uh, we're 85. But it's interesting that Sri Lanka has such a high rating because um, about a year ago, their president decided to implement uh, complete organic farming. He banned all uh, fertilizer use, etc. Unfortunately, the the crop yield has been so low that people have been reduced to poverty, starvation, and economic chaos. And he had to flee the country because of his green policies. And so, uh, let me say, there are very real-life consequences to some of these ideas. Let me say this. Communism was just an idea. But when people follow an idea, there are consequences that affect you in very real time. 
Because let me say this, he who controls the food controls the people. We see this in the book of Genesis 47. Whoever controls the food controls the people. You know, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 6 has a rather disturbing verse relating to the end times. I looked and behold a pale horse. And the name who sat in him was death and Hades followed with him. And I have the wrong uh, Bible verse. Uh, anyway, essentially in Revelation 6, I, I can't find it there, but it says um, a, a quart uh, of wheat. Oh yeah, Genesis, uh, sorry, Revelation 6. I heard a vo voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. So a quart of wheat was enough to make one loaf of bread. And what it was simply saying was that um, in the end times, inflation will have reached such a point, such a tipping point, that in the end days, you will literally work all day enough to earn just enough to avoid starvation. This is the essence of slavery. Um, and we should know in Ireland, because we lived in abject poverty for centuries, many of your peoples are from, you know, we've so many different nations. Many of your peoples lived in poverty as well. I mean, it's only 170 years ago that a million people starved to death on this little island. Another two million fled, never to return. So, again, these are very real issues. Um, if you study history, you will see that famine has been a consistent threat that has stalked mankind. Um, 100, 104 million people have starved since 1870. 1783, uh, one million people starved to death in India in the Kalisa famine. 1810 to 1849, 45 million people starved to death in China. 1850 to 1874, 60 million in China. 1876 to 79, India, China, Brazil, North Africa, somewhere between 15 to 19 million people starved to death. In Iran, between 1917 and 1919, between 2 to 10 million people starved to death. Russia, in 1921, 5 million people. In China, in 1936, 5 million people. 1951 to 61, China, 15 to 55 million people starved to death. 1983 to 85, in Ethiopia, 4 to 600,000 people starved to death. In 91, 92, Somalia, 300,000 people starved to death. 94 to 1998, North Korea, somewhere between 200,000 and 3.5 million people starved to death. So let me say this, I'm not veering from my remit as a minister by addressing some of these issues. I understand it may sound a little political to you today, but these are very real issues that as the church we have to pray about and be aware of. Okay, because, you know, th this, this is the, the, the plan of the enemy, which is to take life. Because the very principle of preaching requires that I'm able to follow Christ's pattern, which is this, Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel. But in order to do that, you have to have freedom of speech and ultimately freedom of thought. And this is the problem. Many of these measures are aimed not only at curtailing your speech, but even curtailing the way you think. Okay? Controlling the way you think. Uh, but as a pastor, how can I call people to preach, to, to repent? If I'm afraid to call sin exactly what it is as per the Bible, irrespective of how politically incorrect or, um, you know, unpopular that may be. You see, freedom, as we know, it, is being radically curtailed by those who speak of tolerance but practice intolerance.
who speak of inclusion but use it as a means of exclusion if you don't embrace the immoral morals of the new world order. Notice they don't really talk about tolerance so much anymore because the principle of tolerance means that you're entitled to your views, irrespective of whether people disagree or not. You see, tolerance means you're allowed to have a differing opinion, and that would never do. Amen? And this is why they want to subvert your right to say what you think. That's why they want to subvert your right to say no to the brainwashing of your children in our schools and through the media. Think about it, what they're pushing right now in so many Western nations. Abortion, climate change, LGBT, critical race theory, BLM, evolution, socialism, transgender, craziness. You know, most sane and reasonable adults won't buy into their cult-like beliefs. And that's why they want access to young and impressionable children in order to normalize what is not normal, in order to create what they call the new normal. You know, I love the Chinese people. But to see what's happening in China right now under the Chinese Communist Party, they've used COVID to, to, to literally, you know, cement power and to cement their, their, their grasp on society and to create a, a dystopian reality that can only be mirrored by something like 1984. I mean, you, if you have, uh, you have, everybody has an app and if your app is red, you can't go anywhere. This is the world we're living in where the enemy is seeking to set up a system globally that will forever change the way we live our lives, if you're allowed to live at all. You know, this world where a man dresses up as a woman and is magically transformed into a female and who gets to sit and read to little kids in libraries. Ladies, can I ask you something? Quit pretending that dude is a lady. He isn't and never will be. And he knows it, you know it, and everyone and their granny knows it. That is not a woman. I'm not talking about hating people. I'm just talking about using your brain and understanding what you understood even as a little child. There are men, there are women. There are boys, there are girls. That's it. Pronouns don't change DNA. Biology matters, morality matters, theology matters, and the Bible is very clear about these things. We are different by design, so ladies, don't let them cancel you in Jesus' name. We are different by design. Like I said, many of those who support and promote these causes are sincere, but ultimately they are useful idiots, that's all. You know, feminists have discovered they're the latest ones to be thrown under the bus and cancelled because it was never about women's rights any more than it was about gay rights or even uh, about trans rights. You know, apparently they say men can now menstruate and get pregnant and yet nobody can even define what a woman is. It was never about women's rights or gay rights or any other rights and when the time comes, trans rights will be jettisoned as well because communists always eventually eliminate those who, norm, who are no longer useful to their aims of furthering their cause of taking power and instituting totalitarian rule. It's what I like to call the antichrist agenda. And the further up you go in the food chain, the more aware they are of it. And that is why I've no doubt that there are many globalists, politicians, and billionaires, famous celebrities who are sold out followers of Satan. What did Satan say to Jesus? Matthew chapter 4 verse 9. 
He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment time. And he said, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. You know, Revelation chapter 18, verse 11. I understand there's a sobriety to this message, but I'm okay with that. And the merchants of the earth who weep and mourn over her, no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every uh, kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious stones, bronze, iron and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and bodies and souls of men. You know, we live in the ultimate consumer society where even human life has been commodified. We saw that with Jeffrey Epstein, who incidentally didn't kill himself. But how many of his buddies who were on that plane going to that island to abuse and rape little girls have actually been put into prison or even acknowledged publicly? The bodies and souls of men. All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. You see, let me say this. The system is rigged in the favor of those who have served the agenda of the God of this world. You see, they haven't just sold their souls. They've sold their bodies too. That's why we see unprecedented perversion displayed on our TVs in the name of entertainment. Their bodies belong to their master, the devil, and not being content with going to hell themselves, they have been tasked by Satan or charged by their master to bring others along with them. They talk about the great reset. Church, it's time for the great tune out. Okay, it's time for the great tune out, tune out of music that is filled with bad language and disrespects women. Okay, tune out of mind numbing social media. Okay, that stops you from thinking for yourself. Tune out of a media that is constantly lying to you. Tune out of so-called entertainment that's filled with woke propaganda and sensual conduct that, that corrupts the minds and the souls of men. Realize in many instances, it's not education, it's indoctrination. It's not about inclusion or diversity. These are just empty buzzwords. It's not about diversity, it's about conformity. They want you to conform to the thoughts that they are pushing, the ideas that they are pushing. It's not about inclusion, but rather exclusion, because you will be excluded if you don't play the game. Try becoming a CEO of a company or an elected politician who doesn't bow before the altar of political correctness, who doesn't you know, celebrate you know, LGBT and all these other ideas, Pride Month, pronouns, and all of the woke nonsense that's being pushed right now. Let me say this, just like the early Christians we face the dilemma of conforming to evil and compromising our convictions or else being viewed as a hostile threat to our society. The time may come where preachers may be jailed under so-called hate speech legislation for simply espousing a Christian worldview regarding marriage, sexuality, or gender. You see, with so many of these ideas, we must understand they are not playing games even if we are. I see a church that in many instances is playing games with God. This is not a time to play games. The, 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 the hour is late, and we must be sold out followers of Christ, even as they are sold out followers of Satan. We must be about our Father's business. Okay? The time is short. But the answer isn't found in giving in to panic or despair. You might say, but Pastor, this is depressing. Why would you even speak of it, particularly in relation? The only reason I came today is because the title was Joy. 
Well, you always got to put something on the hook. <laughs> Give me. F- I know I've spoken long. Give me five minutes, and I'm going to get to joy. <laughs> to be honest, I really wrestled with that question myself. All week, I was deeply disquieted in my spirit as I studied and I prayed because I felt the darkness and the depression of these days. You see, when I bring a message, know this, I have felt and carried the weight of it first. I've been carrying this all week. It's not pleasant, but it is necessary. Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. I realize this, as a pastor, I have a God-given responsibility and obligation to warn and guide the people of God in these testing times. Okay, but also to show you that how, in spite of how dark the times may be, light shines best in darkness. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. We're living in the time of that. And yet it says, yet the Lord shall arise over you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. How many of you know light shines best in dark places? Glory to God. The darkness of our times is a warning of what awaits those who are not saved. And yet the sad truth is this. Many Christians right now are still asleep, even after COVID. Romans 13 and 11. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone, and the day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desire. That's what the Bible says. Awaken. Now our salvation is near when we first believed. It says the day is far spent. The night is at hand. Ephesians 5. It says, but all things are exposed and made manifest by the light. For whatever maketh manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Church, it's time to awake. It's time to awaken. We must learn to look at things redemptively and not be surprised by the battles that we are facing. Jesus said these things would happen. You know, pestilence, perversion, persecution, deception, apostasy, wars, and famine, along others. But we mustn't panic. We mustn't give in to fear, but rather prepare our hearts for his imminent return. You see, this isn't to be a source of of fear. This is to be a source of joy. Amen. It's the, the return of Christ is a source of joy, not dread. Because Jesus said, Luke 21, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. He said, lift up your heads. Don't drop them. Don't be depressed. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. You know what Jesus was simply saying? In the midst of the trials of life, rejoice. They are simply, amen. Come on, that would be a good place to say amen. Rejoice. All of these things are simply a reminder that this world is not our home and that he is coming back again. Maranatha, 1 Corinthians 16, 22. Maranatha, even so, 
come. We are to look to the blessed hope of the glorious return of Christ. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can rejoice because we believe the best is yet to come. We believe God is still in control. We believe he still sits on the throne. Glory to God. He is still King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is still the way, the truth, and the life. And glory to God, you are kept in his hand. We are kept by the power of God. Could somebody say, thank you, Jesus? It is my hope, my sincere hope, that all of these climate alarmists, the sky is falling. I was back there, you know, when, you know, 20 years ago when they were saying by 2012, the, half the world would be underwater. How many of you know we're still here and we're not wearing goggles or fins, okay? It's my hope that all of these climate alarmists and radical leftists, along with the legacy media, media which has amplified their crazy, irrational ideas will be relegated to the dustbin of history, along with all of the other radicals of the ages, you know, the Islamists, the evolutionists, the eugenicists, the communists, the Marxists, Nazis, etc. Look in history and you'll see there have been a lot of people who pushed radical ideas, but they always ended up, you know, being stopped. But you know what? Even if mankind disregards logic, and self-interest, and follows them down this woke rabbit hole, we still have nothing to fear. Why? Because God wins in the end, and we belong to him. Hallelujah. We belong to Jesus. Say it today. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. All of these crazies are simply a confirmation that the return of Christ is near. He is still seated on the throne. Isaiah 55, 17, it says, Thus says the high and the lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who is a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the hearts of the contrite ones. Exodus 15, 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Revelation eleven fifteen. the seventh angel sounded and there are great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Glory to God. <laughs> Say it, Jesus Christ is Lord. Remember in every storm, he is Lord. In every trial, remember the God who brought you to it will bring you through it in Jesus' name. We are kept by the power of God. We're more than conquerors through Christ who gives us strength. Greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world in Jesus' name. We can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. Remember these things in the battles of life. Philippians 1, chapter 12. Give me two minutes and I'm finished. Sorry. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become comforted by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my sorrow. But the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. I do not give a message today because I'm looking to grow the church. I'm giving it because I believe it's one that needs to be given. Amen. We are charged with the defense of the gospel, not with looking after our own personal interests. And this is what Paul said. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness and all weather, in all ways, 
that also Christ be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. This is Paul writing. Paul faced many trials. You know, we started by talking about trials. That's what this message really is about, the trials. We can have joy in trials. Paul faced stonings, beatings, betrayal, shipwreck, slander, imprisonment, among others. But in the midst of them, he rejoiced because he saw the bigger picture. He saw God in the midst of the trials because he understood that the battle was for eternal souls. And therefore, he wasn't surprised at the battles that he was going to face. He didn't give in to fear because he believed that there was a bigger picture. He didn't give in to self-pity. He didn't give in to discouragement. That's why he said, fight the good fight of faith. That's why he was able to say at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Now there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give to all who love him. He understood he was in a battle. That's why he said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Child of God, it's time to put on the armor. It's time to walk in the light. It's time to set your face and realize you might have to go through some things. You might have to face some battles. You might have to face some devils, but you will prevail in Jesus' name because his eye is on the sparrow. His hand is on your life. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life for all of eternity, and there is no devil, there is no demon in hell that can stop you. Glory to God. Somebody say amen. I'm not going to save the planet and neither will you. I'm not focused on saving the planet, I'm focused on saving souls. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul as the worship group come forward? What does it profit a man? I appreciate some of you sitting here are facing all kinds of trials and challenges in your mind, in your marriage, with your family, your finances, or even in your faith. God, why did you let this happen? Trials. Jesus spoke about it. It might be regrets of the past or fear of the future. Trials. Understandably, some of you are tired, but this is the problem. You have lost your joy in the midst of the trials. I pray that God will restore your joy in Jesus' name. I pray that you will learn to count it all joy. Sam Storms, joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. You may feel alone today, but know this, the Lord is with you even in tough times and dark places. Because sometimes God calms the storm around you. Other times God calms you in the storm. Sometimes he brings you around the storm. Other times he holds your hand and takes you right through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. The Lord is with you today. That is why we can have joy, even in difficult places. Winston Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep going. Jesus is our example. The Bible says, Hebrews 12, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. You see, Jesus is our example. He saw beyond the suffering. He saw beyond the betrayal. He saw beyond the humiliation. 
He saw beyond the pain of the cross to see us here today, redeemed, cleansed, whole, forgiven, free. Is there anybody here today who can say, I'm free, I'm free. I might not be perfect, but I'm free. The blood of Jesus was shed to set me free. It's my prayer today as I finish that you will learn the lesson of looking beyond where you are to where you are going. Child of God, the best is yet to come. The time's gonna come when we are taken from this earth and we're gonna, we're gonna stand before those, those, those gates of pearl. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. We're gonna walk on those streets of gold. We're gonna hear the angels singing. We're gonna stand before our Savior. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and we're gonna be reunited with our loved ones and we're gonna be with the Lord and that's what the Bible says and thus, we shall always be with the Lord. The time is going to come when we go home. That's why Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Stand to your feet today in Jesus' name. Just say today, I choose joy. Say it like you mean it. I choose joy. Because joy is the evidence of God's presence. How many of you know Paul was in chains? He was alone. He was awaiting execution. And yet, in spite of all of this, in spite of the fact that they had taken his freedom, they had hindered his ministry, and they were going to take his life, he still had joy. Because they could keep Paul in, but they couldn't keep God out. God's presence invaded that dark, stinking Roman jail and turned that place into a cathedral of praise. And you know what? God's presence is going to invade your life in a new way today. You're going to walk out of this place today with a joy you didn't have before. You're going to have a skip in your step. You're going to have a smile on your face because you choose. We choose. We choose. In good times, we choose. In bad times, we choose. When it's going our way, we choose. When it's not going our way, we choose. We rejoice in the Lord always in tough times and in dark places. We have joy. Come on, give a shout of praise to the Lord. We count it all. We count it all joy. I'm sorry I spoke. I'm embarrassed to say how much longer I've spoken than I meant to. But these things needed to be said. As I finish, <laughs> you said, Pastor, this is your third time saying you're finishing. <laughs> With every head bowed, every eye closed. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. You can only enter through the narrow gate. The Bible says the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. And today I want to give you an opportunity to choose. I want you to give an opportunity to choose Jesus. There is only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus. Being sprinkled as a baby is not enough. Being a good person is not enough. Doing charitable deeds is not enough. Jesus said you must be born again. 
I want to ask you today, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Because there is a narrow way that we are called to walk on. The Bible here says the way to hell is easy. Just go with the flow. But if you want to go to heaven, you have to surrender your life to Jesus. And so very quickly, I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, if you've never been born again, if you don't have that assurance that you are saved, I want you to lift your hand up high and I'm going to pray for you today. Is there anybody here ready to surrender to Jesus? I've gone through the signs of the times. I've gone through, you know, the environment we're in. But right now, the only answer is found in Jesus. Salvation is found in Him. So today, if you would like to surrender to Jesus Christ, put your hand up high. Don't let pride stop you from receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. This is your opportunity to be saved. Is there anybody here today that doesn't have the assurance that Jesus Christ is Lord? Then put your hand up and I'm going to pray for you. Amen. Praise the Lord. I know I've prayed with you before, Steve. The Lord loves you. He sees you. And He sees your heart. You've called on his name, and I know you're saved. Don't let the devil talk you out of it. Before we, I'm going to finish with a prayer for everybody, but is there anybody here today you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ before? This isn't to embarrass you. I'm not looking to make you know, you self-conscious. I'm just simply saying there's an opportunity to respond. We do not know what tomorrow holds. I've covered some of the, some of the, you know, the background of what may be coming our way, but I know this, Jesus is the answer. So if you've never accepted Jesus, put your hand up high. Last time. Okay. Well then, could everybody just lift your hands to the Lord right now in the presence of God? Praise you, Jesus. Oh, the time is short. The time is short, people. Oh, Ashiakata. Could we just pray in the Spirit for a moment? We just raise up the nations right now to you. We know there's a battle for nations. There's a battle for freedom. You know, there's a battle for the United States of America. I feel such a debt to the United States because I, I think of all of those, you know, British and American men who, who bled the waters of, of Normandy red because they were fighting for freedom. All of the other soldiers, Canadians and Polish and French and all of the others who fought as well. They fought so that we could be free, and, and yet, right now, the world is at war again. And Lord, I, I just pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that we would take our place in prayer, that first and foremost, as the people of God, we would be a praying people, that we will pray in Jesus' name. There are so many who are not ready for what is coming. There are so not people who are not ready to stand before the Lord. So let's just begin to pray right now for a great awakening in Ireland and in Great Britain and America and Canada and the nations. Lord, awaken the nations. Awaken our nation in Jesus' name. Awaken our nation to righteousness, just like your word said, Lord. Awaken the nations to the time we are in. Lord, awaken the church. Let the church wake up in Jesus' name. Let the church wake up to the purpose of God. Let us wake up, Lord, to the times we are in, Lord, because we must be about our Father's business because you said night cometh when no man can work. That night we're seeing it around us, Lord. The light seems to be failing and yet in the midst of it we know, Lord, your light can shine through us, Lord, in Jesus' name. So just lift your hands to the Lord.